All right. Welcome, Jeff Brown. You are up at Bowling Green State, where you teach pop culture, comics, and a variety of other things. Welcome to Professor Latinx. And today we're going to talk about race, gender, and comics. Sounds great. Thanks, Roger. All right. So um, the big question is, you know, here you are in 2000, you published this book, Black Superheroes, Milestone Comics and Their Fans. By the way, that was a huge, huge book for me. I mean, huge in the sense that I read it early in the right, right after it came out. And I could not believe that we could publish scholarly books on comics. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, maybe you can tell us just starting with that, like what a kind of huge monumental achievement that was. Um, yeah, it was a weird one. Thank you. It, um, I, yeah, I've gotten a lot of um, positive feedback from that book being early on, just as comic studies were um, starting to hit mainstream academia. Um, and it was based on my dissertation, which I wrote at the University of Toronto um, in my PhD is in anthropology. Um, so it took a kind of weird route and people, when I said I wanted to study fans and, and comic book fans and masculinity, at first they were like, nah, um, no one's gonna be interested in that. Um, it doesn't matter and so on. And then when I said, well, you know, I've got this angle on African-American um, masculinity as it's presented and, and understood by fans and so on. And then they were like, okay, maybe that's just enough of an angle to make it worthwhile. Um, and then I really got into it. Um, and I was lucky that Milestone Comics was just coming out and things were interesting in the industry. And um, the creators of Milestone were great. Uh, they were wonderful about, hey, come on down to New York. You can interview us, talk to people and so on. Um, so people were excited about it. And I, I tend to think that, um, we like to tell ourselves people who are into comics and superheroes are smarter than the average bear kind of thing. And I think um, people were enthusiastic to take a look at um, these things. And then it just kind of caught that, that wave prior to be superhero movies and things becoming really mainstream. Yeah, well, it definitely opened the possibilities for future, many future generations of scholars like myself. So uh, I know me personally, I'm very thankful. You went on to to uh, write books on sort of pop culture generally. Can you tell us, share a little bit about your journey there and um, also kind of why you've, um, at least in the comic space, kind of stuck to your guns with superheroes? Um, <laughs> sure, um, yeah, that's easy. I mean, doing, doing the other stuff, um, Primarily, I've done an awful lot on action movies uh, and women in action roles, um, representations of women and, um, and gender in general, um, because it's another area that interests me. And it overlaps a lot with comics. And um, my two books on women in action movies um, each contain a couple of chapters about women in um, superhero stories. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a, I'm interested in gender um, and these kind of lowbrow genres um, because they are popular, because they do affect us, uh, because everybody knows them and watches them um, and loves them. And, and that's one of the reasons why superheroes, I mean, I love superheroes, I'm a fan, I'm a geek, it's how I learned how to read. Um, I've been into them my whole life. Um, but it's the fact that um, 
everyone knows them and everyone's shaped by them, even if they're not a superhero fan. I mean, I always tease my students, I'll have 300 students and I say, you know, who's, um, who's Secretary of State? And 300 students, maybe three or four of them know who, uh, that's it. And then I say, who's Batman's butler? And they all know it's Alfred Pennyworth. And at least half of them know that Batman's dog is named Ace and stuff. So there's no way you can argue that these people aren't being shaped by a Batman or Superman or something. They know them intimately. Um, so I think that's one of the real reasons that I've focused on them. Plus, they're, they're a really rich area to look at. They're so symbolic. And so how do you answer someone who comes along and says, Jeff, you know, so what? You know, so you're, you're getting your students to read and sort of analytically, uh, uh, I don't know, Chris Nolan's, you know, Batman trilogy and unpack it. But who cares? Like, what's, what kind of difference is that really going to make in the world? Um, yeah, well, without being, without too much profanity, my answer is usually um, because it matters more than other things. I mean, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, yeah, we look at that, um, the sheer success of that, over a billion dollars per film, um, huge worldwide influence. Um, and so why? I mean, Batman in particular, people identify with it. Everybody does their, I'm Batman voice kind of thing. And um, that can really suture you into the character and make you feel like you are part of it. You are identifying with Batman or Spider-Man or whoever. Um, and so it does shape your lives. And then the question is, how does that shape your idea of masculinity as being tough and strong? Or, um, you know, why are all the, um, the large heroes, uh, the most iconic heroes, why are they all white? What's the history of um, racism and sexism and homophobia and all these different issues in comics that have been um, taught to us? Uh, and over the years, people have become a lot more accepting uh, of it or understanding. I think since the movie genre has become huge, people seem to think it's worth uh, more of an interest than um, you know, silly kids' books as far as they saw them. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. We can take our students and those who are willing to listen to us for a couple of minutes to places of self-reflection, sort of uh, social and political critique, all of those things, right, that have been typically left to or considered only, you know, the space of like highbrow literary sort of study, right? Right, right, exactly. And then um, I, with other colleagues, and I don't want to dismiss other people's areas of interest, but I always uh, explain to my students that there's nothing wrong with being a fan. There's nothing wrong with enjoying these things. I mean, I have friends who are marine biologists. They're fish fans. They enjoy fish. They've been into it their whole life and they, you know, turned it into something. And, um, but That's understanding Spider-Man that everybody is familiar with is, is more important culturally than perhaps marine biology. Nothing wrong with marine biology, but um, we're all fans of things, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, you, you've got several books already and you know that are out and very important to us. Um, you've got a forthcoming book. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Um, uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's coming out with um, Rutgers University Press and it's, it's a collection of essays about ethnicity in Marvel comics, movies, and television shows in particular, um, mainly the main impetus was a few years ago when they did their all new, all different line and they replaced 
who didn't actually replace. One of the chapters is about that they're not replacement heroes. Uh, but where suddenly Iron Man was an African-American teenage girl from Chicago, um, boy, who else? Uh, suddenly an Asian Hulk, Korean-American Hulk, um, a lot of different characters, uh, African-American Captain America. All these characters were sort of being put front and center. Um, and it raised a lot of issues about, uh, you know, how diverse could a world of superheroes be? What color could uh, an Iron Man or a Captain America, what gender could a Thor be? Um, and it raised a lot of different issues. So you've got chapters uh, dealing with specific characters and trying to incorporate kind of a, a bit of a history. So um, the uh, Asian superheroes chapter um, start with some of the historical conditions and, and stereotypes and characters like Shang-Chi um, or uh, Agents of Atlas and moving up to uh, newer versions of them, but also um, Amadeus as the Korean American Hulk and um, Silk, the Asian American um, spider woman type character and so on. Um, and I do that a bit of that in each chapter. So looking historically at um, Latina and Latino characters like um, White Tiger and then how that's mutated into um, different generations of female White Tigers, but then also Miss America and the importance of using America um, as, as a touchstone for that as to what she represents, America being her, both her real name and her uh, superhero uh, identity. Is there something about coming of age or wish fulfillment. I mean, this is something that I'm constantly thinking about um, that sort of materializes in and through comics um, that's, well, special to comics, right? I mean, coming of age stories, we all love the kind of going back, especially, you know, someone at my age going and reading a comic about coming of age as a teenager, and then especially coming of age as a, a Latinx, you know, superhero, right? And the sort of wish fulfillment there. Is there something about comics that's kind of unique or special in those sort of spaces? I think so. Um, in, in like you have at my age, I go back and not just reading the new ones that are the coming of age stories, but the ones I read as a kid, I love now that they're coming out with these collected editions of things and, and reading ones that I know I read when I was eight or nine or whatever and, and having that same sense of nostalgia and excitement, um, I think is, is interesting. But because they are such a, a clear metaphor for puberty and change and becoming an adult, um, I think they, that, that fantasy of, oh, I can fly, I can shoot webs out of my wrists, I can do whatever is powerful um, to everybody. And I think, I, I, I always argue that there's, people can identify across sort of these superficial social markers like gender and ethnicity and sexuality and so on. Um, but there's a particular excitement when you do see yourself reflected. Um, and which is why historically the, the lack of diversity in characters and superheroes has been hard. And it's weird writing about it uh, as a white heterosexual male, middle-class male in North America, 
But my experience even um, as Canadian is different. I'm not equal in Canadian with minority ethnicity, but um, when things like Alpha Flight came along or Wolverine, mm -hmm. uh, I know other kids my age were excited. There was some representation, some evidence of, of us in this fantasy world that you didn't have to identify across ethnicity lines and so on. Yeah, no, it's really, really a, a exceptional space for that kind of cross, kind of um, the lines in the sand that people, you know, we know are constructs, but that be, become materialized as walls and boundaries that comics can allow us again, the freedom to kind of cross back and forth. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, can yeah. I ask you, what was your favorite superhero as a kid? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. So mine, like you, um, when we moved from Mexico, I was about five years old and the corner store where we lived in the Central Valley, North Central Valley in, in California had, you know, the spin racks. And that's when comics were, you know, relatively accessible even to a kid like me. Um, and I would honestly like pick up anything, but the ones that were really memorable were uh, like the Fantastic Four um, and um, Thing was really important to me. Um, and, you know, of course, anything that I could get my hands on, Thor, Batman, all of those. But yeah, there was something kind of special about the team spirit of Fantastic Four and also mm -hmm. the, the, um, the, you know, just the diversity, I guess, that was right. presented there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think superhero I, comics always did a great job of that, um, especially Marvel. And then when they came out with the mutants and so on, of being an outsider, which whether you were an outsider or not, every kid feels a little like an outsider and an outcast and that, that real heroic idea of standing up for yourself and being misunderstood is powerful. Yeah, and like you, you were saying, you know, as a kid that didn't really, you know, I didn't see myself in comics as a as a superhero because they just didn't exist. There was White Tiger, but I didn't have access to that kind of level of kind of niche at that, you know, point. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, but it did, it allowed me to think of myself beyond the confines of, you know, our our little space that we were living in and kind of single parent mom working um, and struggling and all of us trying to like really like make it happen. And yeah, it was, it wasn't a, a what really important place for me to go as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great escapism and still is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, you've just gotten some sort of copy edits for this chapter in my gender and sexuality and comics volume for Rutledge. Um, yeah, marriage, domesticity, and superheroes for better or worse. What is that all about? Um, and I'll have those edits back to you soon. Um, but yeah, that chapter, as I've been looking at superhero um, at comics and movies and film or television and so on, um, there's, a, there's so many tangential issues. And I think uh, lately I've been interested in the ideas of romance and the lessons that it's teaching uh, the social les lessons about um, marriage and maturity, um, sexuality, 
uh, norms of sexuality, but also, you know, incorporating an awful lot of um, same-sex relationships and, and um, cross-species relationships and all kinds of things. And we find it interesting because tending superheroes only about punching people and um, truth, justice in the American way. But when you look at the racks and so on, it's incredible how often the covers are, um, you know, Wolverine and Storm kissing or Batman and Catwoman kissing, and it starts to look like Harlequin romances. Um, so mm-hmm. as extreme gender ideals, you know, Superman and Wonder Women, um, I really have been curious lately about how, what lesson is being taught uh, about relationships to readers and audiences and so on. Why is romance so important? Um, and in this chapter, one of the things I tried to to get at was the idea that um, in our society we think of, or at least in these stories, we're presenting these supermen as all powerful, um, masculine ideals. And there's this fear that becoming domestic, becoming, getting married, having kids, moving to the suburb, whatever, is castrating that it steals your your manly power and your strength you're feminized um that to to give in like that is seen as a negative although i think some and that's definitely been the case historically that sort of icky girls stay away from them um superman doesn't like lois lane um kind of thing but um lately there's been more of a marriage isn't a trap that's going to rob you of your strength and superheroes maybe can get married spider-man superman um, batman most recently has gotten married um so what are the lessons and and it's like the ethnicity i think sort of breaking out what can be seen as heroic yeah that's great so comics uh yet again as that kind of space of possibility and offering a kind of spectrum of different sort of masculinities in this case, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I love it. I, I can't wait for this, um, our volume to be out and ready. So why, why does the study and teaching of comics matter? We've kind of gotten a little bit to that, but yeah. Um, I think it matters because it affects our lives, because it's a useful way to understand everything around us. I mean, as, Cultural studies um, is my focus, not literary studies, not genre studies, um, but I'm concerned with how we're shaped by the world around us and how we um, as cultural beings help shape it. And I think superheroes are so symbolic um, that they're, they can reveal a lot. I mean, the symbols are everywhere. They're written on their chest, they're worn on their helmets, they're in their names. Um, the power types and so on. So I think they're so ridiculously symbolic that it's easy to start breaking down things and seeing how these weird abstract cultural ideas about things like freedom, love, um, commerce, whatever, how those ideas are put into a story so that we teach them to young kids, so that they are getting a lesson about what our society thinks masculinity or femininity should look like, but also what um, what justice should look like. Um, <clears throat> what are those um, American values? Um, and it's an interesting way to consolidate them and see them in a, in a, you know, in a page or on a screen very clearly. So I think that's why they matter. I think it can be done and is done with all kinds of other things. 
Um, but particularly because we think of superheroes as being silly, fluffy, childish entertainment. They're just immature. There's no real meaning. That's where the meaning really lies. You know, when we assume that they're just innocent, um, don't look them critically. And I think that's where we pick up more um, beliefs than we realize. Have Can you share, a, this is kind of just, you know, maybe or maybe not, but could you share a moment when a student was like, wow, I had no idea that this sort of, the symbolic, the analysis of the symbol of, I don't know, Superman, um, you, know, you know, could lead me to this place. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we did um, a, a class on, on superheroes that I did, and in um, one of them we were talking about Batman and hegemony, and we started looking at, um, there's a, a great piece um, from Pearson and Eurekio where they talk about Batman as an agent of hegemony. And uh, we were talking in class about that, about why, you know, why does Bruce Wayne have to be rich? And their, their answer is usually, well, so he can afford all those gadgets and stuff. It's like, yeah, but then who, who does he protect? What, what is he doing? And, and they started to realize, oh, he's, he's stopping criminals. Wait, hold on. They're criminals who are stealing from, stealing property, that this is about commerce and protecting certain statuses. Um, and the students really started to click about how this represented maintaining the status quo that you know why don't superheroes really go out and change things why don't they fight um problems like racism or discrimination or poverty and so on um and they really had an aha moment a couple of them about um that as they framed it oh we're being programmed by these and i tried to explain well it isn't so much programmed as it's just it's cycling through but they really saw that hegemonic, um, how they accepted those as truths, even though they're completely artificially uh, manufactured. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Can you share some of like your methods for teaching comics or comic book films, pop culture in general? How do you, I mean, of course, the primary text, the object is exciting in and of itself, but yeah, share with us maybe a little bit of your technique or your your approach, your method, if you don't. Okay, yeah, I don't know if I have anything um, particularly groundbreaking in that way. I wish I did. I wish I used it um, more creatively. I do have them read comic books. I have them watch movies. Sometimes we watch them together um, and really try to expose them to these things. Um, comic books in particular are tricky because... Uh, as you probably know from classes, you get some students who have been lifelong readers and know how to read, and then others who look at the comic book page and they're like, oh my God, I don't know which direction to go in. I don't know what came first. How do I actually read this? Um, but pairing that up with academic or more scholarly readings uh, to get them to enjoy the firsthand, the primary texts, uh, and then read analysis of them, um, I think makes a difference. One of the most important things I always consider is um, trying not to take the enjoyment out of it. Um, I hate the idea that students would come out of a class in comic books and be like, oh my God, I'm never reading another comic book in my life. I, I didn't enjoy it. I want them to sit back, enjoy, get wrapped up in the story, and then try and unpack. And the same with movies. Um, 
you know, I tell them, don't write down who the second director was or who did special effects. I want you to just get lost in the story and then try to take yourself out of it afterwards. Um, superhero movies being so big right now have been great because uh, at least once a term, I'll take the students as a group. We'll do a trip to the movie theater and we'll watch whatever movie just came out. Um, and they get a lot of, it's exciting because it, it's doing it on the fly. Then we'll meet in the next class and they're excited they went on a field trip uh, and got to see Aquaman or whatever. But then to sit down and say, okay, this movie just came out. You just saw it. Are these same themes there? And when they're able to explore, you know, wow, look at what Jason Momoa's body looked like in there. Look at um, why did his parents have to die? Why, why do these things have to happen? And really unpacking some of those things can be exciting. Um, yeah, so how Scorsese sort of famously now said Marvel movies are not cinema. How did you respond to that with your students or just in general? I actually had a whole bunch of reporters um, call and ask about that. Um, and um, Scorsese um, is welcome to his opinion, <laughs> but they're, they're cinema, their art as much as anything else. They are genre pieces. They're not the genre that he does. Um, you know, you can easily say, well, okay, there's a lot of superhero movies and there's not a lot of change in between those. But how many movies about mobsters in New York starring De Niro can he make? You know, he's making the same movie over and over again. And yes, superhero movies are going to go out of style. Every genre does. Um, but they, they are important and they're striking a chord right now. There's a reason why after 9-11, these have become so popular. Um, and Scorsese also, you know, that whole auteur style that the director is important and the artist and he's going to be a champion of that because that's where he slots in um but um superhero movies are doing something very different um and they're no less cinema in fact they're and financially marketing they're what are supporting the studios um so that other less profitable films can be made the it's interesting to me because i mean Gosh, I mean, there is no more of a no-tour, say, than Chris Nolan. Yeah, of course we have a Justice League, but then we have, you know, something ex extraordinary, you know, um, like right next to it, um, right? There's all variety of the kind of superhero movies out there. Yeah, and we, we rank them, right? Like we can say Chris Nolan's a no-tour, so that can be nominated for Academy Awards or uh, Heath Ledger. There's a method actor, so he can win, um, or, or um, Joaquin Phoenix can win. Um, but we're, we're still struck in that old mold, but audiences don't care. <laughs> a lot of them don't care who directed it. They want a fun, interesting story that allows them some respite from all these awful things that are going on in the world. Um, so yeah, where is the vitality in comics today, superhero or otherwise? Hmm. Um, good question. <laughs> I think um, I think it's there. I think so many of them, uh, so many titles are interesting nowadays, and I think uh, it, both at the big company at DC and Marvel, there's been more of a, a willingness to expand as the industry is changing. I mean, print books 
are struggling. You know, movies and marketing, they're bigger than ever and they're, they're turning a profit, but comic book sales are down. The spin racks at the corner store are not there. Um, digital comics haven't taken off. Um, they're trying to figure it out. And I think in some of the things are bringing in um, more diverse characters going for niche audiences and, and having them uh, updating the characters so they represent the world nowadays. Um, leads to a lot of it. Um, so yeah, the the vitality, I'm not sure. One thing I, I hate is that comics do seem to keep going back and treading over the same storylines um, and celebrating its past. It's a very insular um, type of medium. Uh, but I think there's been a lot of creators who um, are going in new territory and unpacking the genre. Somebody like Brian, um, Michael Bendis is uh, doing a lot of stories where it, there's sort of a critique of superheroes and so on, really taking it into a different um, kind of rewriting or recreating the genre. Gosh, thank you so much. Um, this has been really enlightening for me and it sort of reminds our audiences, our listeners that yes, comics matter. Thank you, Jeff Brown, for spending some time with us. No, no, thank you very much.